This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 510 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Total Saddle Fit. Tonight, we are pleased to be joined by Karen Facilis, co-author of Riding with Oliviera, our next choice for our book club, as well as eventing professional Ashley Kehoe to discuss challenges of eventing dressage, and Kate Poulin gives us a great trainer tip. This is Reese Koffler-Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Phil. How are you tonight? Uh, I'm good, Reese. A little tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've been busy. We have been busy tonight. Yes, we have been very busy, uh, but all good things and uh, fun stuff to come for sure. We've been busy recording some extra interviews tonight, uh, so that's been fun. And uh, and it's also, I'm sure, like like you, you're full steam ahead now. Everybody's coming for lessons, and it's warmed up, and well, it's a the, lot of the fun. The big thing right now for me is like the the young horse is getting backed. This is oh, this is when this yes. is when it starts. Yes, of when course. the snow is gone and the weather and the temperature rises a bit, then then that's that's my favorite time. So you know, doing some lunging right now and some you know light work, mm-hmm. um, introducing saddles, you know, all these kinds of things. So um, people remember f- from before, you know, discussions about three year olds. So all of uh, all the three year olds that got back last year went out for the fall and winter, mm-hmm. basically did nothing, and now they're coming back to be reintroduced. So we've got. We've got, um, you know, that stage and the four-year-old's life. They, they're being mm-hmm. reminded of what it's like mm-hmm. to, to uh, you know, be ridden or, or whatever. So sometimes that goes quickly. Sometimes it's yeah. kind of like starting from scratch. And how many and, do you guys are you guys doing right now? Uh, we're busy. So I've got one four-year-old from last year. Mm-hmm. And we've got a couple of three-year-olds. So the, the three-year-olds mm-hmm. uh, just begin, beginning from scratch. So that's a lot of, yeah. a lot of patience. And time. You need some time, and time for that. And a lot of time. You can't say, oh, well, I'll just do that one in 20 minutes and I'll do that one and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. No, these, you know, we take extra as, as much time as each of them needs so they're not stressed about the whole thing and, you know, doing slow introductions to things. And, uh, yeah, it's very important wow. to be patient. And, and But yeah. uh, that's, that's right now is starting. And then, of course, uh, the older ones are all gearing up for what we want them to do for the show season this year. So, mm-hmm. It's probably the the busiest time of the year for me. Yeah, you're really busy now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're we're kind of taking a little break. Not not 100%. We actually show in a couple weeks again too, but um yeah, and for me, uh, I'm you know getting back in the swing in Kentucky and and I have a lot of teaching that I do now this time of year getting horses ready. A uh, bunch of event horses getting ready to go places and my dressage horses are are uh, the, the Florida horses are already going. Um, some get a little break. Some, you know, how, it just depends. And then some are showing in a couple of weeks. So, yeah. So we're really busy. It was a little bit quiet the first week we were home because the weather was still not great. Um, and my assistant said, it's the calm before the storm. <laughs> and it's true. It's, it's kind of true. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was yeah. kind of quiet there. And, and now it's it's full on, which is quite nice. So all good things for sure. So I love it. And actually... Um, this is our first interview is, is we're giving some eventers dressage, some love. Um, we actually have the Kentucky three day, which was formerly known as Rolex coming up, uh, 
starts, well, the people really start coming uh, Sunday, Monday, uh, and the event will really start, I think they jog Wednesday. So really good week coming up. Uh, it's a lot of fun, a lot of things going on here. And um, Ashley's going to start us off uh, the week kind of talking about some challenges she faces uh, while uh, working her event horses in the very critical first phase of dressage. Well, tonight I am very excited to have Ashley Kehoe from Ashley Kehoe Eventing. She is a four-star rider in preparation, or this is actually during the Kentucky three-day event uh, this week. So we're giving some event dressage loving. Ashley, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much. Happy to be here. We are really happy to have you, and Ashley is one of my amazing event students, so I know her quite well, and it's been so fun to get to know her and, and her horses. So, Ashley, can you start us off with just some challenges um, that you have as a four-star rider getting horses ready for events like Kentucky? Um, what are some challenges that you have that maybe we wouldn't have as, as technical, as dressage riders without the cross-country and jumping? Yeah, well, we have we have obviously cross country, so we have to do so much more uh, fitness work with our horses and really getting them uh, race race ready um, and and kind of like trigger ready. You know, we have to cross country send them and then bring them back, and it's very kind of um, more fast reflexes. Uh, whereas in the dressage ring, you want the horse to be like relaxed and fluid, and it's a little bit more artistic like like ballet versus like a sprinter over hurdles um so trying to get the horse to understand that without talking to it it can can be quite challenging because they can be ready to go on a race and you're like no we're gonna do ballet so um you know they can come out and just be really fresh and spooky and not really wanting to focus and uh you know do what you want to do for sure um Another thing, yeah, yeah. Uh, another thing definitely would be like like the type of horse um, and what they choose to do. Some horses really like the dressage, and some horses um, are event horses because they love the cross country and uh, don't see doing circles in a ring as maybe mentally stimulating. Uh, so trying to capture the brain of some horses, like my own horse Tosca, who you've uh, done a wonderful job helping me with. We have to kind of make it fun for him. Um, so yeah, that, those are the first things that pop into my mind. Um, as far as for an event rider, like for on the rider side of things, I know for myself, like I have to compartmentalize which muscles I have to use uh, for which position. A little bit like like the different positions of yoga, where you have to use your core muscles and balance yourself. Um, I find it really hard if I have a few days of, of cross country or doing gallop sets with the horses and, um, you know, two out of the three phases are jumping. So we're in two point a lot that, uh, your adductor muscles, you get really tight and you balance off of your stirrups, you know, kind of perching. Um, and, and then to have to boom, go into a dressage saddle, unless your stirrups down, like you balance, uh, not off the stirrups. It can be, uh, I feel like it's it's harder for the rider to be as effective when you when you switch all around. Um and and also for me learning like I I was not a natural dressage rider at all and uh I really couldn't sit the trot until I was like 28 years old. Um and it took me going to Germany and living there for a year and a half 
and going to the like German dressage Academy. Um, and when I first got there, uh, like the 15 year old girls could sit the trot better than I could. And, and I remember like watching that and thinking like, Oh my, this is really embarrassing. Like how, how can I not do this? And it's because when I grew up, I grew up doing hunter jumpers and we did two point all day long and we raced our ponies and, and then I, you know, kind of galloped race horses when I was 18 and, and I rode all the way up through the three-star level. Uh, and yet, um, having to learn with, with these 15 year old girls in, in Germany on these like lunging horses where they take away your stirrups and, and like over there, the, the girls are, they learn, uh, they're not even allowed to have stirrups the first like six months they're riding so that they can have this beautiful dressage position and, you know, not pinch with their legs. And, um, and I think here in the U S that's, that's maybe, uh, the young riders here don't have the, that kind of opportunity to just be these natural born dressage riders. Um, well, actually, I, I will say when I was in Germany and I was a young rider, they brought, they, I went to a young rider clinic and the 16 year old girl, I think I was 18, 19. I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't think I'm ever going to ride as good as that girl. Like, So as a technical, yeah. as, a, as a dressage rider, it was unbelievable to, to watch that. <laughs> so you're not the only one uh, that said this. I said the same thing. It was unbelievable. So it's amazing. Yeah. I agree. And I mean, I think that is one of the challenges that event riders really face is, is really changing the position because dressage riders, we ride in the same saddle all the time. You guys could, could have three different sets of tack that you sit in, right? I mean, that's, you change position for each of the phases. So it, and I think the other challenge is, you know, the horses don't do dressage every day. They do. Yeah. It very it depends, you know, when when you're getting a horse ready for an event like Kentucky, which was formerly known as Rolex, um, you know, you maybe only get to see your dressage coach two, maybe three times a week. And that's three is aggressive, isn't it? Oh, very aggressive. Yeah. Most people won't really properly flat their horses more than like twice a week. Yeah. So you really, that's another challenge that, you know, these horses are off doing, they have to do their fitness work. They have to do a lot of other things. Um, and you know, so it's, it's really something that, that is, is big and and important. So, you know, it makes it even more challenging when we come to, uh, doing, doing what we're doing. So, uh, I think that's another challenge. So there's a lot of challenges and, I, and and I don't know, um, and Phil, you can chime in too. And Ashley and I talk a lot about this. Uh, I don't think the throughness component is mm, as stressed in the event world as it is in the dressage world. Um, and no, really, completely. Yeah. yeah wouldn't you yeah. say, and especially once the horses get to intermediate, you know, really doing and working with horses you know that's intermediate's is a second level test and advanced is third level and it's the same with true dressage horses they they really have to have a different level of throughness um at that point right i mean that's something we've worked a lot on together yeah yeah absolutely and a little bit of it has to do with like like the rider and and i'm i'm not a rider that maybe is so good about like dictating every stride and like riding every stride and um you know I had more of a jumper background where it was important to like give the horse freedom to use head and neck for the jumping phases. And so when you, when in the jumping, when you learn, especially cross country, like you kind of have to um, allow them to think for themselves and to, 
to change their bodies and to not dictate every stride because that can get you in trouble. Um, and then to, to kind of do almost dictate every stride in the, in the dressage, um, you know, it's important. You have to ride the walk and short walk and long walk and long trot and short trot and all these different things that, um, that can be a hard thing too. If, if, uh, you know, the relationship you have with a horse out in the field galloping cross country is like freedom. And then you put them in the box and say, all right, like pressure, like right now you have to listen. This is really important. Like stand still. Don't, you know, that's, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, something that like with my young horses from the beginning, I will make that an important thing because, you know, even as young horses, they have to learn to, to hold your hand and, you know, have the connection. And that's not just something that's like all magically picked up when you get to training or prelim. Um, I think I think as a, yeah. a you know a straight dressage rider, um, we don't appreciate uh, how good the horses are in the event world. In that you know we are very much like we're just along the same theme here. Just we are very much used to dictating every single step of the horse. And uh, I think, like you said, if out on cross your horse doesn't have a pretty good sense of you know how to get around a course, then if it's if it's if every stride is left up to the rider there's a, there's going to be a, there's going to be issues. Right. And that's where we oh, see yeah. terrible. You know, a, a yeah. lot of, yeah, a lot of like, you have to get the horse to his place, but the horse also has to have a sense of, you know, uh, the size of the fences and the distances and things like that. Whereas I think in, in dressage, we're very much used to making, you know, not making the horse do stuff, but ha- you know, um, developing the horse and, you know, you, we, we always have a sense that the horse is looking to us for direction and I think eventing is is more about the partnership and and that you know sometimes the rider is in charge and sometimes the horse has to know you know know where to be and know where to go and and how to get there and uh, yeah. um, I mean it's nice to have an eventer on the show to to you know appreciate that and to talk to you and 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 to uh, tell us about how 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 the ho- the really good horses have to be a pretty pretty good on their own and be really smart and really heads up so. Like you said, when you try and put pressure on them and, and, and say, go here, stop there, you know, you want to have your halt for three seconds and all, all that. I mean, it's sometimes it's very, very hard because they have, you know, like a good horse has to sort of has have his own will. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I find like the best horses for eventing are the horses that kind of like, they get the game, you know, they kind of get it. They're like, all right, well, we're in the dressage ring. So like you call the shots but then you take them out cross country or jumping and they might light up a little bit more like, Oh, this is my turn. You know, like I get to, you know, be in charge of a little bit more. And, um, that's what I kind of like is a horse that, that can, they understand, you know, that dressage is to be relaxed and calm and to listen, you know, but, but one that out cross country, uh, does get eager, eager to go eager to please. Um, you know, and yeah, having that kind of a, a balance, is important. Do you you have any tips for us about how to sort of help that, how you help your horses to understand that sort of thing? Or, I mean, do you think it's just practice makes perfect or, you know, what's, what's, what's the tricks to get the horse mentally ready for dressage versus, um, you know, uh, an eventing course? Yeah, well, I, hmm, that's a good question. I, I have lots of ways that you could get a, a dressage horse to, uh, be a more, you know, self-thinking kind of a jumper. There's lots of little 
you know, jumping exercises where you can, you know, do bounces and one strides and change it up and different poles to where they're thinking and looking and, you know, kind of making decisions for themselves. Um, but I think taking an eventer and then to make it a dressage horse, I think just starting from the bottom and making it a very understandable, you know, like German training scale, like, you know, rhythm and relaxation and not, not asking them for, you know, not, not going for the collection and all the hard, hard pieces, you kind of have to ease them into it, so to speak, and, and have them on your side. Uh, Reese and has helped me so much with, with my advanced horse where uh, I think in the past he was maybe pushed to do some dressage movements that he just didn't have that base for in the training. And, um, and it became way too hard for him uh, because he didn't have the strength and all that. And he, uh, he maybe wasn't on side so much, uh, when I first started training with Reese and, um, just by going back and like making it very consistent and through, you know, positive reinforcement and, um, trying to make it fun for them, figure out what your horse likes. And my horse loves treats and, and he loves breaks. <laughs> so we make sure that when he's a good boy, he gets lots of treats and lots of breaks and that makes him happy. And he's more willing to like, you know, kind of be on our side. So maybe figuring out like what it is. Yeah. Your, your horse enjoys, whether it's like a lot of stretching or walking or, you know, if they're better in the canter work, do the canter more than the trot. And I guess that sort of of thing. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's really true. And, and it's, and it's, you know, it is, it is different to train them and it's not at the same time. It sort of depends on, you know, what the expectations are, but, um, you know, I find the event horses are lots of fun to train because they do make you think out of the box, maybe a little bit more and you have to really respect them as individuals. That's what's fantastic about them. So, well, Ashley, this has been such a fun conversation and in hearing some challenges that you, uh, all the, all the, the top, riders you know olympic level and on um you know face with event horses so how can our listeners find you online if they'd like to know more uh probably the best way might be on facebook um ashley kehoe or ashley q eventing um and i do have a website that i sometimes occasionally update uh that's ashleykehoe.com so Well, right after this break from Kentucky Performance Products, we've got a new announcement for our book club for this month. Her life was falling apart around her, but when she saw his sweet face and heard the low knicker, the pain eased. She stood in the stall for some time, running a brush over his sleek coat, down his powerful muscles and over his tight, cool tendons. He cocked his back leg, waiting patiently, She scratched his favorite spot and was rewarded with a crinkled smile and outstretched neck. The stress flowed from her body, and she knew with him in her life, she would make it through. This love story is brought to you by Endure Extra, providing high-fat calories, direct-fed microbials, and natural vitamin E to support optimal condition and performance. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. We have the author or co-author of our latest book for our book club, Riding with Oliviera, Karen Pasilius Oliviera. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. 
Well, so we have to thank you already because you're in the Netherlands right now and it's literally the middle of the night. So we really <laughs> appreciate it. But I'm happy to do it. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Um, primarily, I'm a photographer. I've been working with uh, Dominique and Deborah Barbier for, oh gosh, 15 or so years now. Um, but longer than that, Dominique has been my writing instructor since 1990. And because of that, I've been hearing stories about Nuno Oliveira for all of this time, this last 30 years or so. And uh, fast forward very quickly, even the last eight years, I've been living in Portugal and hearing more and more stories and talking with people that knew Mestre de Oliveira very well. And just um, having been intrigued by this story and intrigued certainly by the basis for Dominique's teaching, uh, it was a great honor and a great pleasure for me to be involved with uh, helping him to write this book. Fantastic. That, so tell us, um, you know, how did you, you know, get onto this project and meet Oliviera? How did that work? Well, sadly, I was not able to meet Mestre Oliveira because he passed uh, a number of years ago, uh, right about the time that I began to ride with Dominique, which uh, was a sad time for him. Uh, so this was late 1989. And, um, but my knowledge of the Mestre's teachings has come not only from Dominique, but from my dear friends in Portugal now, pr uh, primarily Mestre Luis Valenza. And uh, Luis is a cousin of Nuno Oliveira's, as well as one of his long-term students, and one of the people that Dominique and I needed to include in the book, because while it is a marvelous remembrance and homage to the Mestre from Dominique, it is also, um, well, it was important to us to include other people who were important students for the Mestre, because as we know, we're not one-dimensional beings. And so, um, meaning we all have uh, other sides to us and all of the people in our lives might know uh, a slightly different side than, than another person would know. And for that reason, we included in the book um, uh, an interview, a long interview that I did with Mr. Valenza and uh, a lovely piece from Bettina Drummond, who is a very important student for the Mestre, as well as Danny LaHaye, a lovely uh, uh, French woman who was a student of the Mestre for many years, actually beginning in Belgium, and then uh, she's living in France now and has been for, for years. And she, only, she also has horses that came... Uh, that come from the same bloodlines as many of the horses that Mestre Oliveira had. Wow! So you get a, you get quite a history with this book, right? Um, yes. I sort of peeked mm -hmm. at it, and it has a little bit of Dominique's history and how he came to be riding with with uh, the Mestre Oliveira. Yes. Uh, yes. Maybe you could tell us just a, a little bit about Dominique himself and and what what he's doing now, because I think he lives in in the U.S. now, correct? Yes, he's been living in the United States since the, well, um, 76 or 77. Um, Dominique teaches still around the world uh, clinics for people who are interested in classical dressage. And from his base of learning from Mr. Oliveira has developed his own thinking about dressage, but always retaining the purity of the classical dressage principles. And that is um, lightness and the ability to communicate with our horses 
much more through mental communication rather than uh, heavy use of the AIDS. Certainly there is a use of the AIDS happening, but you know, the art is in the subtlety and that was the, um, that's always the goal. And that was certainly the goal of Mr. Oliveira for all of the decades that he was teaching. And, and as he said, working in his laboratory to, to understand more from the horse, always wanting to understand more from the horse and how the horse wanted to be ridden. Uh, Dominique took those principles and that teaching beginning in 1973 for a short time and then a much longer time in 74 and 75. And um, from those principles, from that foundation, uh, developed his dressage for the new age. And, um, and even since dressage for the new age was published in 1990, taken those principles and that understanding further still, which he offers to students in all of his clinics. So here we're talking primarily about non-competitive dressage. Is it, am I correct in, in, in saying that? Yes, we are talking about non-competitive dressage. Um, it can be difficult to find art in uh, competition. It's not impossible. It just can be difficult. So we are speaking about non-competitive dressage, but we are also primarily speaking about building a relationship with your horse, no matter the discipline. So, so just um, you know, good training principles and and uh, and understanding the horse is better. I think. That's, Absolutely. Uh, and learning to communicate, creating, uh, understanding our own intention with our horses, and then uh, creating. Uh, a partnership that honors and respects the horse. Certainly in classical dressage, the primary goal is to uh, maintain the purity of the gates. And so there are principles involved uh, for all of the mechanics and, and the gates and all uh, our aids. But at its heart, classical dressage, um, uh, striving to be an art, relies heavily on mental communication and that requires clarity it requires clarity from the rider about what it is we want to achieve and our ability to project those images to our horses so uh, uh, we haven't read the book yet i just have to preface mm -hmm. this uh, so i'm just asking questions about um is, are, are these principles talked about in the book or because i'm oh, just yes. talking about um the history uh, of riding with oliviera but um, what other things are included in here? Well, we have the history of how Dominique came to meet Mestre Nuno Oliveira and um, some lovely anecdotes, some humorous anecdotes about uh, his first time uh, in the uh, Picadero uh, with the Mestre asking him to come down and and to ride a horse. Dominique was unprepared and and in his you know street clothes, as it were, and a very and a nice English riding jacket and, and sort of dress shoes. And and um, uh, Mestre Nuno boomed up to him and said, "You come down." <laughs> of course, this was in French, not in in English. So right. um, so you know, Dominique, as a young man, had heard for many years the stories of Mestre Nuno Oliveira, the story of this great horseman. And so, you know, it was a, a little bit of intimidation factor going on. Um, so we have lovely anecdotes about those early days and how then the, the training, or I should say the learning progressed. Because in those days, Mestre Nuno wasn't, uh, Mestre Oliveira wasn't speaking or directing a student 
about, you know, every minute or two minutes, you should be doing this and now this or now that or ride this pattern or that type of thing. He was um, teaching by having students observe and then um, letting you know when you were on the right path. So affirming work that you were doing with your horse and letting you know, yes, yes, go forward, move forward with this or keep going. Um, so very little conversation happening in those early days. It did change, uh, you know, as the decades passed. And Mestre Oliveira would talk with his students more and more as he was leaving Portugal more often to go to Australia or come to the United States or, or teaching in Belgium or other places. You know, as uh, social norms changed, then uh, Mestre Oliveira changed a little bit in his teaching or, or perhaps, and this is just from my uh, interviews and my reading and understanding, perhaps he was just more comfortable with what he wanted to communicate to his students as time had passed then. Wow, fantastic. So what would you, what would you say your biggest sort of feeling that you want people to take away from reading the book? Oh, that we have traditions, that we have a history of um, classical dressage and, and in fact, why we have classical dressage at all, and that we must honor those principles as we expand our understanding of what our mental communication and relationship with our horses can be. Well, Karen, can you tell us a little bit about the photos of the book? Because it's a really beautiful book. I'm just sitting here leafing through it myself, and it's a gorgeous book. Can you tell us a little bit about your inspiration with that? Oh, thank you. My inspiration is always the horses. And uh, for the last number of years, particularly the Lusitano horse, um, there's a depth to their soul. There's a dimension in the Lusitano that speaks to me and I think speaks to many other people who have uh, been able to be around them. And that dimension is a willingness and a desire to partner with a human being. Um, it comes from centuries of breeding, uh, selective breeding, if you will, uh, first for bullfighting from horseback. You know, you have to have a horse that is courageous and and noble and, and certainly wanting to move forward, but also waiting for his rider, his partner, to let him know what it is that he wants. And that's a characteristic of the breed that I've not found in the other horses that I've had throughout my life. Oh, not found as readily, I should say. Hmm. So the photographs, the inspiration always comes from my deep love of the Lusitano and what he's willing to give back to me. And when I photograph, the most important thing for me to achieve in a photograph or to try to achieve is an element of the eternal. When I look in the, the, in the eyes of Lusitano, I see thousands of years of partnership with humans. And I see a kindness and a tenderness and generosity that is returned to every rider that gives a Lusitano that same kindness and generosity. Wow. That's fantastic. I also have a Lusitano, and I could say he's very similar in a lot of those traits. Um, so that, that makes sense. So, well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time this evening. Can you tell us um, if people have any more questions and they want to get a hold of you, how can they do that? And also, where can they find the book? Well, most importantly, the book can be found um, at Trafalgar Square Horse and Rider Books. 
And uh, the book can also be found on my website at karenpasillas.com or on Dominique's site at uh, www.dominiquebarbier.com. And my email is there on my site, as well as Dominique's email on his site. And both of us would be delighted to hear from any of the listeners with any questions or comments or anything at all. Founded in 1973, the United States Dressage Federation has become the largest organization to represent a single Olympic equestrian discipline. At nearly 30,000 members strong, USDF is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org to learn more about USDF education, competition and award programs, and to shop our online store. Again, that's usdf.org, your online destination for dressage. Well, this week we have a great total saddle fit tip of the week coming from Kate Poulin. She is USDF's newest certified instructor through fourth level, um, and you're going to love it. But we're going to rave again about the stability stirrup leathers. Um, both Phil and I love these. We got a, got to try them. Justin from Total Saddle Fit always likes us to try all the new products. Um, and I have another set on order. I love them that much. Um, they're fantastic. I put them on uh, Big Mike, who is a little bit difficult to sit on, um, and they help a lot. They really keep my leg quiet, and very rarely, I think Phil and I, we really get a, get a piece of equipment where you think, well, that really, really helps, um, and I yeah. am a firm believer in these. Yeah, so. I've been introducing these to a lot of people, yeah, and they've been getting them, they're like, <laughs> Oh man, these really, you know, they they really help my riding and and I said, you know, it doesn't seem like it, but just the different design and we had Justin come on and explain to us where these ideas come from and it's and he told us that it's not a new idea, but it's just sort of a reintroduction of an old idea that works really great. So, uh, we thank Justin so much for for, you know, giving us new products to try and coming up with um, great ideas or like I said, reintroducing old ideas into a new product. It's fantastic, and uh, you can find all of their great products at totalsaddlefit.com. Well, for this week's Total Saddle Fit Tip of the Week, we have Kate Poulin. She is the 2007 Pan Am Gold Medalist. She is um, a USDF certified, newly certified through fourth level certified instructor, and we're celebrating all the new certified instructors, and she's in Northeast Ohio and an FEI rider and trainer. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We have a fantastic trainer tip of the week for us. What you got for us? Well, I really love these multicolored. Um, they're flat soccer cones or discs that are available on Amazon. And I think they're really useful for trainers and for riders who ride on their own a lot to just help them, you know, be more um, precise in their riding. But also for instructors, it can help um, an instructor be more creative teaching the same material. I love these. I actually uh, saw, uh, I was at a, a barn I go to with a lot of young runners and they had these mm -hmm. soccer cones and I was like, oh, it was like life changing for me, the soccer cones. <laughs> I love them. Mm -hmm. So they really mm -hmm. are. You get them on Amazon um, and they're, yeah, you can get a pack of like 50. <laughs> um, yep. They're great. So now tell us, so we call Amazon, we get our pack of 50 soccer cones. They're, they're plastic and the horses can step on them and they're fine. Like I mean, we don't want them to step yeah. on them, but it won't hurt them. So tell us, so what are some exercises we can use the cones with? 
Well, um, just I always make sure that I get them in the multicolored so they, that you're getting them in green, yellow, red, etc. Um, it allows me to be set up different courses within the same lesson and not confuse the rider. So if I'm trying to teach a rider how to ride a um, proper 20 meter circle and, um, and sometimes, you know, going out and standing in the middle of the arena might not be possible setting up, um, red cones for them to ride through on four different points on a 20 meter circle will help the rider, um, be able to look up, look ahead of themselves and give them points to ride through. Um, and also, you know, at the same time, if I have red cones set out for a 20 meter circle, I can also use them. Green cones in the same lesson that are set up to teach them to ride um, a better diagonal, or maybe the green cones are set in every um, corner to help them ride a more precise, balanced corner. Um, but you can also use them to set boundaries or define a course or a path. Um, even for more advanced riders, if you're teaching somebody to do that's for the first time in the pre St. George and you want them, you're teaching them the uh, quarter pirouette or the half pirouette. Um, you can set out a red cone for where you feel like they should start asking the horse to do a more pirouette canter, you know, a yellow cone for where you feel like they should start their turn. And then maybe you've set out a whole set of green cones around that area as a boundary to say, look, this is, you can't go, you can't allow your horse to go past these green cones or your pirouette is too large. There's so many different creative ways to use these cones. Oh, I think it's a fantastic idea. And I, I, I absolutely use them myself and, and do very similar things. Mm -hmm. Very helpful with geometry. Very helpful if you need to know mm -hmm. what size. You know, I love the idea of using for pirouettes or using them for corners. Uh, yeah. All kinds of different applications for them. And I think, you, you I know, like again. Them better yeah. than the, I like them better than the, um, the taller cones because you can actually hit them right on yeah. that, which I have experienced <laughs> and um, have. they don't break. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so they are a little easier than the, the taller cones. No, I think it's, it's a great idea and anything you can do to sort of, and also you can make it fun. You can, do some challenging mm -hmm. turns. You can do all kinds of mm -hmm. things with them. You just, um, you know, again, I I use them at, at the pony barn, but there I have, I, I literally like was, you know, getting in my car and ordered <laughs> on Amazon. I'm like, I need these. Uh, and yeah. they're a fantastic application and they're not expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and if yeah. you do run over one and happen to break it, no big deal. You got 49 other mm -hmm. ones to go. So okay. I love it. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, fantastic trainer tip of the week, Kate. Thank you so much. And this is, I'm going to throw this at you, but how was uh, going through the USDF certification for you? I loved it. It was really challenging, which I love a good challenge and it really pushed me out of my comfort zone. And um, I mean, I would highly recommend it for anybody that wants to further their education. Yeah, fantastic. We were talking about it in Florida and, you know, I love that. I mean, it pushes, you know, you were certified at the lower levels and then it really does push you as you go through the program to get better and better as an instructor, um, which mm -hmm. is very similar to any professional organization, you know, that uh, continuing mm -hmm. education, that type of thing. And it's hard. It's not an easy thing to do, um, mm -hmm. uh, but it is is really rewarding and really challenging. And um, I... I I knew you were going to pass. You did a fantastic job, but yeah, <laughs> it was you. great. I love well, it. Well, Kate, if, if our listeners are in the Northeast Ohio area or anywhere, how could they reach you online? 
They can always find me on Facebook, Kate Poulin and Dressage, or they can find, you know, find me through my website, which also has my social media links as well at www.katepoulin.com. As always, we love our email and Facebook shout outs. We really appreciate all of them. And we have lots. We actually have a couple in the queue. So we will make sure we get to those in the next couple of weeks. And we appreciate all the, the ideas and tips. We, we really appreciate it. And as always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is on Facebook, or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we look forward to talking to you next week. 